Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Now, there's a fact that I'm not particularly proud of, and that is I'm kind of a master of divorce. Um, And the timing of this episode that I'm recording today is pretty much spot on, considering that what I'm living through at the moment. I've been married two times, and right now, uh, while I'm doing this with my guest, I'm going through my third divorce. Now, we were not legally married, but we had a committed intimate relationship, which in Washington State has the same legal protections and processes um, that you have to go through if you need to unravel your lives together. And especially in our situation, we co-own three businesses and some real estate together. So we're, we're going through that separation process. Now, if this had been a simple business partnership uh, being dissolved, it wouldn't be as emotional as it is right now on both sides of the table. But instead, there's betrayals, there's disappointments, there's anger, there's shame for wishing I had done something differently earlier in the relationship. And in the last couple of weeks, I've had to deal with the ups of thinking that a settlement was finally done to the downs of having him back out at the last minute. So needless to say, I've been kind of going a little crazy for a while. Now, some divorces are straightforward, legally speaking, but no divorce is ever easy. And I chose to end all of my relationships, but that didn't mean that I didn't grieve for them and grieve for that process. And then when you have an ugly divorce, the kind I'm in right now, where all I want to do is just move on and I can't because of the insanity of another person contented with continuing the fight over and over again, it gets exhausting. And you add that to your regular job, and then you add that to being a parent while going through a divorce. You don't have a lot of emotional resources left some days, which is where I've been for a couple of weeks, honestly. And so today I have with me an expert on how to keep it all together while divorcing. And I guess you all are familiar with, and that's Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. Dr. Cohen, for anybody that doesn't know her, received her PhD in clinical psychology from Boston University, and she's now the director of her own practice, which is Dr. Elizabeth Cohen and Associates, and her practice provides comprehensive, holistic, cognitive, behavioral, therapeutic services in New York City. Now, you recall that Elizabeth and I chatted about cutting ties with toxic family members, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes so you guys can go back to it if you don't know that episode. And now she's launching her first online program called Afterglow. And it is the light at the other side of divorce. And this program provides research based on techniques to have ease, joy, and abundance in your post-divorce life. She's been uh, on, in the New York Post, and they recently dubbed her the Divorce Whisperer. <laughs> um, and she's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Women's Health, New York Post, HuffPost, Thrive Global, and Good Housekeeping. So of course, I'm excited to have her back on the show. So welcome back, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, yeah, I am too. And like I said, I didn't mean the timing of all of this. You and I had kind of put all this together. We had this great plan. And then the shit show of my life happened. And I'm like, well, this is wonderful. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll have so much of this energy to draw from as I talk to her today. Um, so, But let's start with, I think, an important question. Um, and that is, how does somebody know that divorce is actually the right answer for them in their relationship as opposed to going through couples counseling or continuing couples counseling? I mean, when is the got to call it, it's done moment for people? Yeah, good question. I want to just start start by saying that the superpower that you are showing in getting your divorce and separating is magnificent to me. Unfortunately, in this world, we see divorce as a failure or something broken. But you're talking about being smart, being savvy, being on top of it. Sure, having some negative emotions too, but to me, those are superpowers. So 
I think it's pretty amazing what you're doing. So most people wouldn't say this, most people wouldn't say this, but like bravo, like amazing work. Um, so I want to start with that. So as a therapist, you know, I really do believe that we need to communicate first about any problems we're having in a relationship before we decide to call it quits. There are some exceptions, and I remember we talked about this on the previous podcast. You know, if you're if you're in any sort of danger, if you're in any sort of physical or emotional danger, it's time to cut it and be safe. And that might even mean just removing yourself from the home and then getting advice and suggestions and support from other people about whether divorce is the right move. But I really do think it's very important to spend some time with your partner in couples therapy or their great workshops about communication, really talking about what's going on. It might be that in the increase in communication and understanding more about your patterns or how you, what you expect in a relationship, that you realize that actually you're not the right match. But without starting with communication, then there's going to be down the road a lot of what ifs. You know, in some ways you need to kind of clear everything out so you can be, you know, as certain as you can. Again, regret and missing and loss is part of a divorce. So it's not like you're not going to have that at all. But I, I really encourage people to do the work so that when you make the decision, you really do feel like you've, you've tried your best. And that's all we can really do. And one of, the, one of the shifts I like to talk to people about is what if we thought about a relationship as it's really done what it needed to do in my life and it's time for it to be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be right. with that, yeah, yeah. That, you know, you hear people talk about that, that there's a time and a season for, for everything. And it's possible that a relationship really is, it, it had a purpose that was not what you thought it was going to be, but it's done and it's over there. Now you brought right. up the, you brought up, you know, the, the, the question or the, the commentary, which is that divorce feels like, failure. And that's true, right? Because a lot of people are shamed into continuing on when something that may be toxic or just has no, no future to it because they have some idea that it, that they're bad in their job as whatever spouse role, because they couldn't figure out how to make it work. And I agree uh, talking and communication is huge, but what happens if somebody has a partner that doesn't want to do the talking and communication? Cause I, I have been that person where it's like, well, maybe I can coax them into it. And, you know, did that for far too long. And other people, you know, just say, well, maybe you need to try to do these things to get them to change or whatever it is. But I mean, if the other partner's not willing to step into co-counseling, is that another, like, it's a red flag and call it? Absolutely. You're so smart, Amy. You know the answers to all your beautiful questions. (laughs) It makes for a terrible interview then, I guess, if I just (laughs) questions. Right. The answer is yes. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So um, such a good point that you're bringing up, which is you want to know that you've cleaned your side of the street, that you have made the efforts that feel right to you to work on the relationship. If you're in a partnership with someone who really refuses to talk about it, to go to counseling, to even address the fact that something is wrong in the relationship, that is in of itself a problem in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very often people think, oh, well, he won't go. So often it's the man. He won't go. And so what I often say as a suggestion to, to clients is, here's a number of a couple's therapist. Make an appointment and you show up. Tell him the date of the appointment and, and you go. And let's see if he shows up. And sometimes I'd say 50, 50, 50, 50% of the time somebody shows up and 50% of the time the person doesn't show up. Usually when people don't want to go to therapy or work on it, it's because they're scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just thinking that because the thing that yeah. I've heard people say is I don't want to show up and then have everybody pointing fingers at me is the reason that the relationship is failing. And that's just a fear base, right? Like, you know, especially exactly. if two people have been arguing with each other and it's been one person like you need to do this, you need to do that. And now that same person is suggesting therapy. They're thinking that they're showing up to a firing squad, right? Absolutely. And also probably one of the strategies that we all use is, you know, my friend also agrees with me that you are terrible at communicating and all my friends say that I'm right. Right. So they're used to being kind of um, bullied, bullied. I mean, you know, on and kind of having people against them. And so there's an assumption that that's what the therapist is going to do too. 
And I always try and tell people that, first of all, nothing that you're going to say in those therapy sessions, you have not said screaming to each other at some point. Like there is no big secret that's coming out. I think that's another misconception. And then you're actually going to have somebody there who's going to help you look underneath some of those, you know, angry outbursts to what the feelings are. Like when we just talked about fear, like what a shift if you're in a relationship where it's so high conflict and it's mostly the emotion you're feeling is anger to bring in the idea of fear. Mm-hmm. Like that just kind of shifts the whole atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Totally. It might not fix it, but that's a shift that can happen. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I, you know, I had said like, I have been married twice and in both of those times with the legal marriages, I was the person who actually initiated and asked for the divorce. And what happened in both of them was that after a few days of processing this request, um, both of my husbands came back with these like over the top overtures about what they were going to do differently and what they wanted to start doing now and how they were going to change. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, follow through with any of that. Like I didn't allow that to happen for me. Um, you know, one of the reasons for me was that I was so emotionally down the road from this relationship. Like I was ready to get out of it that I didn't want to cycle back to, to try to see if anything could possibly be salvaged out of it. But then the other thing I was concerned about was that it didn't seem genuine. They were so over the top and they were, they were talking about shifting so dramatically from everything they'd been doing for years together. I didn't actually trust that whatever it was that they were coming up with was really going to stick. And so I passed on it. Now, is that a normal reaction for a partner to, um, to beg for this other chance? And, and should we give it to them? I mean, I, you know, sometimes I sit and think to myself, like, did I not give it enough of a shot because I just threw out the, the, you know, the request that they had. And I just said, no, not interested and move on. Right. So I think the first thing is you need to know that whether you, it's the right thing for your life or not, you're always going to wonder if I should have waited a little longer. That's just something we have to accept will be, is part of the divorce path. So we just kind of notice the thought kind of like in a meditation, we notice it, we acknowledge it and we move on to the next thought. So that's the first piece. Like you will feel that you will feel like, oh, maybe it would have been different. That's, that's just kind of what we do whenever we make a decision and a divorce is a decision. I think that what does happen a lot when someone actually says they want to divorce, the other person is kind of, as you said, turns around all the stops, says they're going to do that. As a psychologist, I can tell you, like people do not change overnight and they do not change just because they say they're going to change. They may really, really want to change. But in your case, you know, if the person said, I'm going to do all of these things, I would say, how? Because I know you want, they wanted to make you happy all along. It wasn't like anybody intentionally wants to hurt the other person. So if you couldn't do it before, how are you going to do it now? So it's more of trying to figure out what's their plan versus just saying, I'm going to change all of these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I guess if you have the benefit of that's where you bring in the counseling, if you haven't already gone together as a, as a couple, right? The, exactly. the question is there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, you know, let's say it was, I want to be more involved. I'm going to be more helpful. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to take off half a day on Friday and do all the shopping. I mean, really specifics. Like we really want to find out how somebody is going to take action to shift something that isn't working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then if it doesn't come with action, then it's, you kind of have to treat it as a, eh, you know, maybe a, a, a desperate right, like attempt. A- <laughs> Yeah. Or, I mean, an, or like kind of a beautiful desire that the person has, like that they're wishing they could do that, but you know, inside that they really can't. I think the other really important piece, and you brought this up about your divorce is that, you know, when we say I want a divorce, it's not like we just thought about it last night. Mm-hmm. There's been a long time of probably thinking, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? Right. So by the, your experience is very, very common, which is that you're already there. Like you've passed the point that goes back to the communication that my incur, you know, I encourage people to, con- to communicate along that path. You may still end up deciding that, but so it's not as so much of a shock to your partner because mm-hmm. that is a whole other trauma, like a shock trauma and then the divorce trauma. 
Well, okay, so then that that's the next thing. Like, let's flip the coin here, and let's say that your husband or your wife came to you, and they've dropped this bombshell on you that they want a divorce. Um, you know, what should we do instead of what we want to do, which is probably, if it appears to be a shock, and I agree, like, does anybody ever just get divorced out of the blue, <laughs> you know, or do they really know that it hasn't been perfect all along and it's just kind of a state of denial, uh, you know, and I guess maybe I just asked two questions right there. Right. But right. I mean, you know, some of us, you know, or, you know, listening here are, are, yeah. have been bombed by this of like, holy cow. And yeah. so, they want to do what my partners do. Like they want to jump in and try to save it all at once. And, and, you know, is there, you know, what are some good things for that person who just got this bomb dropped on them? What should they be doing? You know, at that moment of that shock of, you know, say of someone saying, I want a divorce. Yeah. Well, first of all, put a hand on your heart and give yourself some, a lot of compassion. And the first thing I would ask is what do you need? Not, not how do you fix this? How do you make this better? We, we can get to that, but what do you need? You just had your world rocked. Um, you know, spend some time thinking, wow, where did this come from? What have I noticed? Really to turn inward, I think. I think the desperate turning outward is completely understandable. It's kind of how we do most things. We like pursue, pursue, pursue to control and fix. But let's figure out what you actually really want. Do you want to fight for this? And if you do, let's think about how you know your partner and what might work for your partner. Mm-hmm. Or how is your life going to change? What are you feeling now? What can you do? Kind of like when, when I first got divorced, it was one hour at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not, what am I going to do in three months? It was, what am I going to do in this one hour? Mm-hmm. I think too, sometimes the feeling of getting told, even if you believe that the relationship has been on a downward trajectory for a long time, when somebody comes to you and says it's over, that, that may trigger that rejection. You know, we feel really badly, even if we don't want it, it still sucks to be rejected by somebody. It's like, you, you always want to be in a position, I think, right. Emotionally of being able to make your own choices. And so when somebody chooses that for you, even if they are a creep or a bitch or whatever, you still have that, like, no, like, I don't, you know, it, right. and that's normal, right? I mean, that's totally normal to. It's totally normal. It's even normal to want to be with the person who you actually don't really want to be with. Like all, having mixed, like I tried yeah. to say, like mixed feelings are totally normal. They're more normal than black and white feelings. Like <laughs> having mixed feelings are totally, um, you know, more normal. I had this experience last summer where I was with my ex-husband and my kids And we don't usually spend a lot of time, the four of us, and we were together. And I suddenly felt this deep sadness and this deep longing. And I thought, this is weird. And I went into black and white thinking like, I don't want to be back together with him for sure. But so what, so then what do I feel? And it was really just this deep awareness and loss of the fact that I did want a life with him at one point. Mm -hmm. That was real. And that was something I had imagined and hoped for. So I had to kind of let myself feel the mixed feelings mm-hmm. about it. And so mixed feelings are real. And in fact, the more we can feel them, the more at ease we can be. Mm-hmm. So you're right about this idea of feeling rejected. And I think it's really important to sometimes understand your relationship to rejection in general. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about in our last podcast, kind of growing up, were you rejected? either by primary caregivers, or even it could have been, you know, really bullied or ostracized in school. So when you get rejected and when it comes to divorce, what's being triggered, what's coming up for you. And that might even explain some of that desperation because often when people are desperate to get back, it's not really to get back in the relationship. It's to just not be rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that actually, I, my, my body is like being like, um, I'm feeling it right here, which is where I feel my emotions. They start off in my chest. And I've, I've said that many times on this show before, um, because the last relationship, the one that I'm in the nasty, you know, gnarly divorce situation from, it was quasi mutual. But at the end of the day, I was outwardly and outrightly rejected 
at, at being able to work on it and want to move forward with it. Now, thank God for that. Right. But it was though, it was such a powerful emotion for me to just like, and that's what caused me to really dig in and to understand like, why does it feel so crappy to be pushed away by somebody I don't want to have anything to do with right now. But I, I, you know, it took a long time and I'm glad you brought that up because people really feel crazy when they have those mixed feelings of, I don't want it, but yet I can't figure out why I do. And I, but I don't, but yet I feel really lousy and I, you know, and all of that stuff jumbled up. And I, I, you know, to be honest with you, there were months of crying and just sitting there trying to dig in and figure out, part of it, you know, where was this coming from? What was this rejection really telling me about my life? What what was I really feeling right now? Um, And and it was just, it was mind blowing to me. I mean, mind blowing, but to be able to, you called it black and white thinking. It is like to pull yourself out as your third, you know, your observer of you, you know, and just watch yourself going through it and go, wow, I'm just, I I don't get it. And that's, you know, um, like I said, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it is normal and people do struggle with that. And they think like, should I get back with them? Like, I, I feel like I want to, maybe that means I'm supposed to. Right. Such a good point that the feeling is some sort of indication of an action you should take. And I think you're bringing up such a good point because the, I, uh, an example I give is I remember being in divorce court and just wanting to, you know, like Maury Povich it, like just be like crazy angry. Like I was so angry. I just wanted to like scream at the judge and be like people's court. Like I just wanted to be so angry. <laughs> And like, so my feelings were not wrong. Like what was happening in there was rage inducing, but my action wasn't, I knew it wasn't going to be practical for my legal case to do that. And so you feel the outburst in court are not good. (laughs) I mean, and if you do, you do, it's okay. No, no we've all been through it. But, um, and so even for you, like if, if you're in the experience where you're thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be out of this. This is so the right thing to do. But, you know, he just sent this email and it was so, it reminded me of this kind part of him and I, now I miss him. Oh, should I, did I make a mistake? Like, no, you can have both of those feelings at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, so everybody listening, it's totally normal to be twisted, <laughs> twisted yes! up like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so divorce, and I know this, having done this several times, but, um, that it's, uh, you know, the teams form, right. The camps, suddenly it's the, his, his team or her team. And then it's your team and divorce as you know, if you've never really gone through it, you know, is it's not just deciding who gets the house and the car and you know, what happens there, but the social network has to be completely untangled. Like there just doesn't seem to be a way you get to move forward, like a status quo in there. And so who gets what friends, uh, you know, if you live in a small town, like I do, like, you know, who gets to go to what restaurant and bars and you you just start to have to like piece that apart. And so how does somebody handle that aspect that they may not be ready to understand? Because I've seen even friends go through divorces and when they get that email from, you know, a friend that they thought they had a solid relationship with or a text and that friend's like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I can't see you anymore. You know, I, we can't be friends anymore because they chose to go with the other camp. I mean, right. it sucks, right? So yeah, it totally sucks. I think the first thing we need to know is that everyone's response to divorce is a projection of their own shit. Can I say shit? Yeah, yes. I totally adult show. I've done it. <laughs> yeah. So you have to know that divorce still is considered a failure, as we talked about, like it's, it's still a stigma. It's unbelievable in the day in this day and age, but it still is. So people have reactions to that and they have their own reactions based on their own relationships, based on their parents' relationships, probably based on media, right? So they have their whole, their own ideas about it. So a lot of their reactions to, we can't be friends anymore, or this made me really uncomfortable or is really coming from them. So that's the first thing I like to tell people. Like, this is not about, you know, good, bad decision on your part. Like every, when I got divorced, people either said to me like, oh my God, how did you do that? I'm so sorry. Like, it's terrible. Or they'd say, um, how'd you do that? Like, what did you do? Like, they want it, right? So it was all about them. It wasn't at all about me. No one was really like feeling into how I was doing about it. Um, so you have to know that, right? So that, um, people are, are going to have their responses based on their own experiences. So that's the first thing with, with, with friends. I think 
if you can talk to people, and again, this hopefully you've been working on yourself and on communication to say like, look, I know this might be uncomfortable for you, but I think we had a lot in common and I really like doing X, Y, and Z with you. I'd love to continue to do that. Now they can decide whatever they want to do, but I think we sometimes pull back kind of in a shame way, like that we have the scarlet D, you know, that like we, we need to stay away. We, you know, we can't put ourselves out. We can do it. And we can even say, Hey, is this going to make you uncomfortable? Let me know. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're talking about a pretty adult approach to all of this. And the other thing that happens when the camps get divided is that everybody becomes an actor in the play of somebody else who has an agenda, which may be your partner, which is to turn the people against you and to use them to shore up their sides and all that stuff. So it it can become also you're dealing with, um, you know, some real high levels of immaturity. Uh, Maybe it's immaturity. I don't know, but you know what I mean, right? And so that adds this whole other flavor. And I found in divorce, you don't know that's coming until it actually happens, right? You don't know that that's going to be there. Yeah. Right. And I I would say to people, you know, through your divorce, you are your focus. You need to heal. You need to reintegrate. So if someone is doing some shit that is making you crazy, pull away from them. Mm -hmm. You don't need them. We need people who have our back. They might or might not understand divorce or be through, through divorce, but they just believe in us 100%. They just have our back. We're, we're so vulnerable during divorce. I think people are not careful enough about who they talk to about things. Yeah. I really, I really think so. And as far as the you know small town bar situation, I mean, a lot of times the person who decided to have the divorce or the person who says it's my divorce, you know, feels like they have to sacrifice things because they've done this to the person. Mm-hmm. We need to completely shift that mentality. Like oh. you have every right to be at that bar. You have every right to be having a good time even when your ex is there. I mean, this is, we're grownups. This is the real world. So trying to also stay true to, you know, not giving in to staying true to yourself and what you deserve and not necessarily feeling like you need to apologize for your behavior, maybe because you initiated the divorce or because it's been kind of messy. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is actually, you know, I didn't have that down, but I have, I've lived through that and have seen that where you do feel like you have to apologize, you know, where it's like, okay, well, you know, you get to have all of these things and you just kind of, you know, I have, some people do, some people don't, but uh, you know, where it's like, take all these things. Like when I left, I moved out, I took nothing, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll start over. It's cool. Like, this was my choice. Like, don't worry about it. I'll just buy all new furniture. I'll buy whatever. And just, just to make it easy. But I think you're right. It was this whole, like, I felt really guilty about hurting this other person. I didn't want to make it e- any worse. And I would imagine that, um, it's also really easy then in that situation, if you're actually owed something or that you give up financial resources or financial stakes out of this feeling, which is, which can really kind of hurt you in the long run. I've seen people do that too, right? Where they're like, oh God, I I agreed to pay all the bills and I agreed to do all of this stuff. And and then they're sitting there two years healed up going, shit, (laughs) you know? Oh my God. There's a statistic about women, I think under ask for money in a separation if they've started it by like 30% of what they could get. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. When you're down the road, I always say this to clients, like you're not going to be sitting there and thinking, I'm so glad I can't go on vacation. And my ex, you know, got that new house or whatever, because I left, because I, I decided that our relationship wasn't working. So again, it's shifting this assumption that you've done something wrong when you say this isn't working for me, yeah. right? And, and objects don't make that, you know, giving the furniture, the house, like it's never, you know, the person is in pain and we need to respect that, but we don't have to give everything of ourselves because of guilt, as you said. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, what you're suggesting is that it, that what people usually don't do in this situation is to really take some time to kind of settle down before deciding to go full blown. Because I feel like sometimes with divorce, it's like now that the train is going, let's just pick up steam and get it done as fast as possible. And you end up making some more emotional decisions rather than long-term strategic decisions. Right. So do you have those conversations with your clients that kind of gets out of the realm of healing and starts to talk about this, like you're divorcing right now and you're in the thick of the weeds, but let's look at what your life will be in 12 months to 24 months. And 
don't make decisions today based on this emotion that's going to, because like I said, I see people two years down the road and they regret that they gave up so much, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like the, the, the movement that my body is doing when I'm sitting with people who are going through divorce is like holding and containing the space and slowing them down Mm -hmm. and remembering that they matter, Mm -hmm. that they're present in this process, that they don't have to throw themselves under the rug, whether they were the one who decided to get divorced or not. I mean, I think impulsivity and divorce like totally go together, you know, like responding too fast to a text or, you know, getting really angry and, you know, calling somebody or, you know, like it's, I think, I think everyone's divorce would be so different if we were like, I cannot respond for 24 hours. Right. Or I have to take five deep breaths before I make a decision about this. It's just so automatic. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned something earlier about like, it's really important to understand who we're talking to through this process, because, uh, you know, you know, that's another thing is that once you start the this whole process of divorce, you receive yeah. unsolicited advice and then you also seek advice. And yeah. there's a, there's good things about that, but there's also some very bad things about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So one of the things I do, I have a very specific behavioral strategy that I have clients do, which is really to categorize the different types of people in their lives. So there are people in our lives who are cheerleaders, who whatever they do, they're like, that's amazing. You know, like I totally messed up. I forgot to do this. Awesome. Like, I'm sure it's going to bring you something great, right? They just, you know them, you know, those people who just have your back. Then there are the people who are really, really good listeners. So they might not be cheerleaders, but they just can listen endlessly to you. Then there's the people who like to give advice or are messengers, as I like to call them. So they might have a good idea about someone you should go on a date with, or they might have a good divorce lawyer, right? So they they have advice, but they're not necessarily the people you're going to go to. And then we all have to understand and admit, and we talked about this little podcast, that we all have something called naysayers. We all have those people who subtly or not subtly, passively or uh, passive aggressively or aggressively cut us down. And I have found in my practice that sadly, and I think I know why, we sometimes turn to those people more than to the people who we know are going to have our back. Because we usually know how someone's going to respond. Like, think about your people in your life. Like, we kind of know. And if you're anything like me, I find myself into the people who are going to be very disappointing to me. And instead of the always the cheerleaders. So it's another opportunity to stop and think, who do I need to go to for this? Who is the you know, right match for what I need right now? And that takes a lot of awareness because you have to figure out what you need. Mm-hmm. And often we go to the naysayers, I think, because we're hoping they're going to, this one is going to shift it. So I'm going to tell my really pessimistic friend something awesome that happened. And they're going to be like, you know what? The world is good. It's like, no, they're not. <laughs> They're going to like find another reason why the world isn't good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this again, this kind of desire to change somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think too, I've also seen, I don't know. I was trying to listen to what the different types of categories that you yeah. have. And, um, you know, I have had some experiences with people steering me back to something that doesn't work. And I've said this before, and I've been more adamant about it myself personally, which is, um, I think it's also really important to make sure we're taking advice from people that have dealt with their own shit. Because like you said, you know, our responses to divorce are, are sometimes if we don't have that third person view of our life are based on our own experiences with it. And, you know, the advice they may be giving you is really all about them. And not actually about you. So they may be listening to you, but what they want to tell you is about them. And it sounds like they're giving you advice, but they're just relaying their own packed bags and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what I, what I noticed that if I check in with my body and how I feel when I am talking to to another person and they're giving me feedback, it's very clear whether I should continue the conversation or not. Right. Right. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel this whole, like, ah, that doesn't, it it tingles, like that doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. You know, that, that's not right. Even though you aren't, yeah, I I'm totally like, I get thinking about how our body's really good at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you do this, but often I override that. So I think, Oh, don't be ridiculous. Like agree with them, even though I don't really agree with them. I'm like, what am I doing here? And then I leave 
And when I, I notice that when I leave those situations, if I, I'm not true to my feelings, either stopping the conversation or expressing how I feel, I feel terrible after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel worse. And then I think, why do I feel so bad? And it's because of that, you know, body experience of being with that other person. Yeah. And I, you know, I have done that before with the override and now I'm like a, I'm an, I'm adamant about reminding people don't notice it, sit with it. You don't have to dissect it and understand it right now, but don't dismiss it. Don't push it away. You know, try to start to learn that because yeah, the, our, our warning systems are so incredible. Like I've, I've got so much more respect for what my body has been telling me about situations. And I try to share, you know, tell like you do try to tell as many people that are, the, our surges through our systems are because our brain is yes. picking up something that we are not consciously, you know, kind of tuning into quite, you know, yeah. right away. Um, you know, I, I wanted to also talk about, I mean, we understand with divorce, which is why you're, you're doing what you're doing and why you have a program coming down the line is that when we go through divorce, it's not a capsule that's isolated. Um, it is hard in so many ways. We talked about the financial elements of it and women do end up getting uh, financially disadvantaged in the divorce process due to assertiveness. And that's a whole nother topic on why and how that happens and stuff, but it's a real thing. So you're feeling the financial stress. You've got legal bills piling up and the dirtier and the uglier the divorce, the more expensive it is coming out of there. Um, then you've got, you've got just that emotional grieving and the stress of, you know, that we talked about the back and forth. Do I want it? Do I not want it? What's going on? I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm pissed. I'm, you know, sad. Then if you've got kids, then you've got kids who could possibly, if this is their parent that you're divorcing, they are dealing with it. But even if they're not like in my situation now, like this isn't my kid's parent, but I have to show up and parent them when I've got a depleted tank, you know, here, because I'm dealing with all of this other stuff on the other sides. And so, you know, what is one of the most important things that people can do men or women to keep them from just completely cracking under all this stress? Because it's, you know, I, I sit there and think, thank God. I feel like when put under pressure, I turn into a diamond, but there are some people when they get under pressure, they just break apart and fall apart. But even then it's really hard to make diamonds. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. Right, um, so there's right. still stress there and, and strain. Right. So what would you right. say to people? Right. So first of all, you'd be amazed at what humans can do, especially if they're kids to protect their babies, like unbelievable surges of strength and stamina that you wouldn't even believe, um, you know, like animal, I mean like animalistic survival basically. And that's what you're talking about. We're in, when you're in a divorce, we're in complete survival mode. The adrenaline is running. We are in figuring out what's safe and what's not safe. We're in black and white thinking like it's, it's, it's so much on the nervous system and so much energy, as you said, is depleted. I think the number one thing is community, is being held emotionally, physically, if that feels right for you, by people who can just hold space for you. Because in divorce, we talked, we talked about this with the friends, there's so much loss and we need to feel like we're not losing everything. So community, holding space for other people, and also one of the things the one of the quotes that I saw that I, I really think got me through my whole divorce is that just when the, just when the caterpillar thought its life was over, it turned into a butterfly that through the deepest moments of pain, there will be light at some point so having faith and having hope. And sometimes we can't have those our, ourselves. So that's what the community is also about. And we also get really isolated. I mean, that's why I've created this program because I think it is almost impossible to do this on your own. It's impossible also then to, even if you want a therapist, to be able to continue paying for a therapist because you have lawyer spells. <laughs> you have, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really difficult and you don't have time because potentially your kids might be struggling and so you need to be paying attention to them or you need to be making more money when the kids aren't there. I mean, it's, it's such a challenging time. Um, so community and because I would hope that if you get community and compassion from other people, you could start having it for yourself because that's really, really key that you are an amazing being who is doing an amazing feat and will come through this. 
Cool. Well, so congratulations, you're now divorced. <laughs> how, how do you make sure you don't end up in another relationship like that? I mean, what would you, you know, what are some, some key things to do post-divorce? Yes, definitely. So I think this is such an important question because I had the experience where um, after I got divorced, I started dating someone and literally on like the third date, he asked me, he said, oh, you're a psychologist. Like, can you um, prescribe Xanax and Clonopin and can I get some of that from you? And I was like, oh my God, I'm with the same person. Like, <laughs> I'm with the same person. And I was laughing about it because I thought this is so cool how patterns repeat themselves. And the cool thing was like my ex was nowhere to be found, but it was me. So I was still finding the same people, same mm-hmm. type of people. So I created something called the Relationship Pattern Excavator, which really helps people look at what are my patterns of relationships when it comes to how quickly do I get into them? How quickly do I have sex? How do I feel when I'm in the relationship? How do I feel when I get out of it? What was going on for me before it? You know, So you start looking at what your patterns are. And this is the really hard part, which people don't really like to do all the time, but bold, amazing people who like your listeners will do this is try something different. So if you notice that you typically get into a relationship, you know, after somebody has passed away or you've moved to a new city or you get a new job, you know, the next time that happens, you stay in the relationship you were in before. You don't enter a new one. You try something slightly different. Yeah, it does. I, you know, and I, I've shared this on the shows, like after my, this last relationship, um, you know, I did my normal pattern, which is, you know, go online. I hate online dating. So, (laughs) but but you get online, go out on dates. And then I felt like, God, this isn't, this isn't feeling good. You know, like I, I was starting to have that, like, like you said, I was seeing myself as the common denominator. And then it was like, and then I just couldn't unknow that about myself. You know, it's like, yeah. say, it's like, okay, well now you're, you're screwed. Now you know that you're the problem. So, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. you> know? <laughs> um, and so I actually then just went cold Turkey for a year. Now I had been dating or, you know, whatever, since I was 16 years old and here I am at 47. Is that right here? Uh, 46. And I just said, you know what? something different would be to not date and like, let's just like detox from all of that. And I was, it was a year of not dating and, and it was easy to just make that choice because it was like, okay, I just, I need to grow because what I don't want is I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to be in these relationships over and over again. Now, not everybody needs to necessarily do that for myself with codependency and, you know, and all these other things. It was pretty important that I did it. And then when I got back into dating, dating was way different. Dating was an exercise and understanding me rather than hooking up with somebody and finding a new boyfriend or future husband to divorce later. It was like, what am I going to start to, what am I going to start to learn about my own nervous system now when I'm in relationships with people? And then when it doesn't work out, what, and what am I going to take from it? And did that for like, Jesus, like another six months of like, exactly. I love that. And what, what I love about what you said is it's so clear, even when you said it, that from 16 to 46, it was like, it was the same pattern. It was the same thing. I mean, it was, we talked about this on the, on the earlier podcast that, you know, you got out of the house, you, you know, there, that was always the person who was with you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you were still in this pattern. So, you know, different guy, but same pattern of yours. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to shift the pattern and you'll, you might find that the next person you date is very different mm-hmm. than those other people that you've dated profile wise, because you're actually in a different place and looking for something different. Yeah. Yeah. I think on my end, not to make this a counseling session for me, but um, I think on my end, it was also understanding who I really am and the types of people I ultimately feel good with and feel safe with, Mm. but realizing that that bandwidth is much wider than I actually thought, you know, um, (laughs) I, I don't, I, I really do feel uncomfortable around people that have like demands on needs from me. And that that's my childhood. My childhood was to escape from all of that and to get that out of my life. And so if a person that's a potential romantic partner feels needy to me, I'm not interested. Like, no, I'm not interested. So I, I, my problem was, was gravitating towards people that had some emotional space around them. Yes. And, but going into the direction of, they have so much emotional space that they are, they are takers of, you know, and it's like, you know what, people can have emotional space and maybe more secure. And so it was like going, okay, 
I just need to kind of go this direction a little bit. I get the safety of, I don't have a person placing a lot of emotional demands on me. That's what I need. Otherwise I'm going to, you know, run for the Hills, but I also get somebody that's communicative and still has empathy and caring. And that's been like, that's a weird little, the nuances post, you know, divorce are really hard to pick up on, but that takes time. Yeah. But that's really such a great um, example. And so many women in particular feel that way about people who are needy. And I, I always try to say, you know, I don't think it's that you don't want someone needy. Again, let's turn this on you. I think it's uncomfortable for you to have someone who's really present. You want to be in control of how much this person is in your life or not, because oh, yeah, it sucks when they don't call you in it, but you know what? It still means you're the one in control because they're kind of absent. So that's a very, very, very common one that comes up. So looking at your patterns, trying to do something differently, small things. The other piece is I always talk about, you know, you need to spend some time taking yourself on a date, asking your friends, what are the best things about you? Like really figuring out why you're important and why you're awesome and why someone who meets you would just be kind of blown away by you. You need to figure that out before you go out and try to meet somebody. Cause we're all trying to like, often we try to meet somebody to make us feel that way, but like, girl, you got that already, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's great advice. That's awesome. So then <laughs> let's talk about afterglow. That's the name of the program yeah. that you started. And so let's do a breakdown of what that is and how people can check it out and sign up for it and, and all those good details. Yeah. Great. So I created this program because after I got divorced, I was desperately looking for kind of a comprehensive program on how to help me with co-parenting, dealing with my ex, like creating a new life, dating again, all of it, friends. And there was nothing. I really couldn't find anything. So I created this based on research supported treatments that I have in my practice and also things that I had to piece together for myself. And as I mentioned before, it's really hard for people to go into therapy after divorce, financially, time-wise. A lot of the women that I've interviewed actually who are in my program move to a somewhere for their partner that was away from their family. And then because of kids kind of get stuck. Mm-hmm. So they, some of them don't even have very good therapists around. Right. So I wanted to be able to create um, help and a program that could be, you know, worldwide. So mm-hmm. that's why I created the online program as opposed to in my office. And it has three components. So it has classes on many topics. There's 14 videos. So topics of co-parenting topics of creating a life by design, not by default on dating again, on letting go of resentment, on processing your loss and grief. So really lots of pieces of divorce. I think the key part that I bring to it as a psychologist is that I can do the kind of how to have a great life after and how to process the grief because I've been, I'm trained in doing both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the 14 videos, which are accessible to you at any time. So if you're like me and you're like worried in the middle of the night, oh my God, my kid's going to be so screwed up. You like watch the video on co-parenting, right? So it's like a <laughs> accessible to you whenever you want, because that's how divorce goes. And you feel anxious in weird times of the day, not like necessarily two o'clock on a Tuesday when you have your appointment. Um, so they're accessible to you at all times. There's a closed Facebook group where you get support. And we're going to, if you want, pair people up and say like, I have court tomorrow. Can you set, shoot me a text and tell me I'm thinking of you? You know, just to have a, as I talked before about like the container, like a support, if you want that or not. One of the important things is unlike a lot of online divorce, um, cohorts, there is no ex bashing. This is all focusing on you and healing. Like this is not taking your ex's inventory. We're not interested in that. And then once a month, there's a laser focused zoom call with me where we get like right into any sort of advice that somebody needs and what they're going through. And there'll be some guest speakers too. So someone who comes and talks about finance, someone who comes and talk about the legal issues. So really to add more for the community. Mm Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Now you, you talk about women, but this isn't just for women. This is for no, men. No, it is not just for women. It's for okay. women and men. Absolutely. Okay. And then Absolutely. Uh, is it uh, best to do it if you're in the beginning stages of divorce, middle of the divorce or post-divorce? Yeah. I mean, really, first of all, as a therapist, I think it would be actually super cool to do it if you're considering divorce, because mm-hmm. again, feeling this idea of like, what is it like after the ideas after glow light at the other side of the tunnel. So it's like, what would it actually be like? if I went through this. So I think it would be kind of cool to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's open to people at any stage. I mean, I work with people who've been divorced for 10 years and still don't talk to their ex. So you might be able to benefit from letting go of resentment or processing your griefs, right? So the timeline with divorce or anything, really any sort of trauma 
because you know can't really use the numbers. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> right. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So how do we how do we find the program? I'll have yeah. links, but tell us where they're at yeah, yeah. in case somebody so, just wants to jump now. Right. So the cart is opening, and it'll be open by the end of today. But there's a wait list now, so if you sign up for the wait list, you'll get information when the cart is actually open. It's at drelizabethcohen.com. That's dr backslash afterglow. Mm-hmm. And as I said, there's a wait list there. There's a whole list of information. And one of the things that I talk about is why you might think this doesn't work for you and how it might work for you. So I'm all, I'm also available to talk about if you think it's the right fit. Right. Um, and it's just been interesting to me because some of the people who have signed up, I mean, it's such an important it's such a need because people are so overwhelmed. Some of them have called me and said, can you just enter my credit card? Like that's how little time I have in my day because of what's going on in my divorce. So I want to make this easy, accessible, supportive, and a loving space for people because, you know, we all need it. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. That's, it's a hard thing to do. And like I said, I'm not proud of the fact that I've done it a few times, but it's not, it has never well, been easy to do I that. don't know. I'd like to say you should be proud because I like to think of it as like relationship, you know, graduate school. Like you're just, every, <laughs> you just have another chapter of growth. I yeah. mean, it's not like, it's not like you haven't figured out. I mean, in one paradigm, it's like you haven't figured out marriage. Okay. Another paradigm is that you keep changing. And so of course your needs and your relationships change. Yeah. Okay. You just made me feel better about that. Thank you. That's why you're good at this. (laughs) Awesome. Well, this has been another amazing conversation with you, Elizabeth. I'm so glad our paths crossed when they did. I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing and we were able to talk about this. I'm happy to have you on and and hope my listeners will follow through. Now, you mentioned that the cart opens today for everybody's reference point. Today is uh, September 27th. When you're listening to this episode, it's actually going to be the first week in October, the first weekend in October. So that means the cart should already be open, but like you said, waiting list. And it's open, yes, and it's open until October 14th. So it's only open for a limited time. Yeah. Okay. So if you're listening to this everyone on Sunday when this is published, then you've only got a couple of weeks at maximum to be able to get in. Um, so cool. But again, all the links will be in there for everybody to find it and to be able to click through to everything that you have. So anyways, again, awesome having you on. So glad to talk with you again. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiraconing.com, and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.